Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, NFL fans, and welcome back to another episode of the NFL Whip Around. Myself, Jeff Hartman, joined by Coach KT Smith. Coach, how's it going? Hey, Jeff. Uh, doing great, man. Just coming off of a big big Steelers win. Steelers fans out there, Monday Night Football, we all stayed up late for that, and we're happy to be up early tomorrow. Talk about the whole league. I love week two, because week two is like when you start to see a little bit of uh, I don't, I'm not going to say separation, but you actually start to see the teams who uh, may be for real and some of the teams that have a longer way to go. So uh, week two to me is always a, a, a very telling week. Speaking of Monday Night Football, I wanted to get your take on the NFL having two games on at the same time and then trying to force feed it down our throats in regards to the the, the side-by-side screen. And I'm screaming at my television last night saying, if I wanted to watch the Saints play, I would be watching the Saints game. I, it's a weird, it's weird. They, they're not the normal doubleheader. What'd you think? Yeah, I hated the side-by-side screen. Uh, sometimes you need to like, just have your a game and that be it. Not, not, not give people too much uh, of a product. Don't oversaturate the market. I don't know what the logic was behind trying to run two games simultaneously. I didn't mind it when they did. I don't know if it was Sunday night or Monday night, early, early in the season last year when they had like a seven o'clock game and a 10 o'clock game. I didn't mind it. Yeah, that uh, if you want to stay up late, great. But um, the, the two simultaneously was just just odd to me. Just really weird. But let's talk about week two. Week two is now officially in the books with Monday Night Football completed. And we have, like we always do, our five storylines and a player profile coming up at the very end of the show. So make sure you stay tuned for that in case you missed the past whip around. We just are looking at the NFL from a broad based perspective. Coach brings up some things that he wants to discuss, and we lay it all out there for you, the NFL fan. Let's get things started off with these 0-2 teams, teams that have not won a game. How many of these teams should be should be worried? We're talking about which of these three in particular that had some really high hopes coming into the season that are 0-2. Which team should be the most concerned or worried? The Los Angeles Chargers, 
the Cincinnati Bengals or the Minnesota Vikings coach. What do you think? Is there a team that stands out as should be the most concerned? Well, I think right now the Bengals have to be concerned about Joe Burrow. He's got the calf injury. I, yep. I mean, they, they this is the fourth time in five years they've started 0-2. So this is kind of familiar territory for them. And the last couple of years they climbed out of that hole and, and they made the playoffs. From a from that perspective, this is clearly not like press the panic button time for the Bengals. But if Burrow is not right, and if he's going to take a little while, those calf injuries can linger, especially for a quarterback having to, to push off uh, and and move out of the pocket. Sudden movements can be tough with calf injuries. And if you're a quarterback, you better be able to make some sudden movements. So I would think that that would be uh, a, a major concern in, in Cincinnati. The Chargers are 0-2, but, I mean, they've got a point differential minus five. They could really easily be 2-0. and and, uh, and and the Chiefs are going to win that division, but I think L.A. is, is still you know clearly in the mix. They they always have have some defensive issues that they have to solve. I would put that their 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 concern maybe in the middle of those two of these three teams. And I think the team that probably is the least concerned is Minnesota, but that has more to do with like the division that they're in. Nobody's going to run away with that division. Detroit's gotten a lot of hype, uh, but I think that they're still a young team that's got a ways to go. Same thing with Green Bay. So, I mean, Minnesota at 0-2 is just a game back in the division, and I think the the product there in the NFC uh, North will not be spectacular, so they can climb back. I've always said not every loss is equal. And, for instance, let's look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, the team we both root for. Week one, San Francisco at home. You hate to lose at home, but if you're going to lose, you're going to lose to an NFC opponent. It's not going to carry the same amount of weight as, as an AFC opponent. A division loss is really bad. The Bengals have two. They've lost two straight division games, which puts them not only at 0-2, but behind the eight ball in terms of tiebreakers and things like that. I will remind everyone, I said this yesterday with Rob Stats Guerrero on our Fans First Football Show, that in case people forget, since the AFC North came into existence in 2002, no team has won the division three years in a row. Cincinnati has won it the last two years. So at least after two weeks, it looks like that trend might hold up, and the Cincinnati Bengals not saying they're on a playoff team, not saying they can't bounce back, but that's a tough spot. I want to ask you about the Minnesota Vikings. There's a lot of people right now that see that the Minnesota Vikings and Kirk Cousins are on their way to a divorce at the end of this season anyways, and they're saying that the New York Jets should be offering them the world right now to get him on their roster to try and compete this year. What do you think about the Vikings and and zero and two? I don't think they're going to be sellers. I mean, you just said you were the least worried about that team. Do you think that's even a possibility that they're considering right now? No, I mean, if I'm Minnesota, I'm not in panic mode. Uh, I I don't know what the Jets have to offer. I don't know what the the Jets are are you know how their draft capital looks. They've made a lot of moves recently. I don't know if they've emptied the cupboard there. If they blew Minnesota away with an offer, like an offer that you can't refuse, then obviously the Vikings should consider it. But I think that Minnesota simply needs to kind of, you know, kind of get back to playing some mistake-free football. They made a lot of mistakes in their first couple of weeks that have hurt them. Hurt them. Uh, they're, they're not an explosive team, especially not without Dalvin Cook. Uh, you know, they're, they're a team that I, I think wins with consistency. Obviously they got the big playmaker, Justin Jefferson. You got Justin Jefferson on your roster. You got Kirk Cousins on your roster. You still have a uh, you know, I mean, uh, the defense is not great, but you still have a good offensive line and you can you can grind out wins in Minnesota. You're in a weak division. I would not panic if I were the Vikings. I, we talked about this yesterday on the fans first football show, the Chargers and Brandon Staley. It 
you you brought up how like they they could be two and zero, and you're right, they could be two and zero, but they're not. How is this not the most LA Chargers thing ever that they have? They're just brimming with talent. They've got the young quarterback, and they just find ways to lose. You hear them people say that all the time about teams in the NFL. They just find a way to win. Like they always find a way to win. They are the antithesis of that statement. Is, is this something that is concerning about the Chargers? Is this becoming a I guess you'd say kind of like embedded into the brains of these players that, oh my gosh, we're probably going to lose this game. Like, is that even something that crosses your mind? I, I <laughs> it must be so frustrating to be a Chargers fan. They always <laughs> feel like you're like, you look at the Chargers and you're like, oh, they're going to be great. Quick story. Way back in 1998, my, my, uh, my best friend from high school got married out in San Diego. And so we flew out there for the wedding and it was up on some mountain, you know, it was like some hippie, hippie thing that he was doing at the time, you know, like, and we were on top of <laughs> some mountain. It was beautiful. Right. Um, but as we're like, literally like we had to park it like a parking lot, you know, near the bottom of, of the site. And then we hiked up to it. And as we're hiking up, there's this like trailer, you know, that, that, that evidently somebody lived in and it's, it's early September. So it's football season. And all of a sudden the trailer door comes flying open. Push, explodes open and this guy comes out smoking a cigarette in one hand a beer in the other and he and he yells effing chargers i can't take it anymore <laughs> and that's like that's like my enduring image of life as a chargers fan uh so yeah man i just they just seem to be uh unable to to kind of finish you think back to the playoff game last year at jacksonville and the two games this year where they were both winnable uh so Sorry, Chargers fans. <laughs> this, they have this predates Justin Herbert too. This goes back to Philip Rivers. I mean, he was always quarterbacking those teams. Everyone said, "Oh, here they go." You know, Ladainian Tomlinson was on the team, and they're going to win it all. And they lose in the playoffs and some excruciating losses in the AFC Championship game. But yeah, the Chargers. They, these zero and two teams are interesting. I think all of them will bounce back in some way. Will they all make the playoffs, Coach? What do you think? I, you know, the Bengals are going to, if they lose another one, I mean, again, Burrow's status for next week is, is questionable. If they go to Owen three, I just saw an Owen, a stat about Owen three teams, uh, less than 10% of them have qualified for the playoffs over the last 20 years. Then, uh, then life gets, life gets tough on, on them, especially when you consider the fact that the North is going to be competitive. The North is always just one of those slug fest divisions, obviously. So, I mean, Cincinnati would be the one team that I would I would keep my eye on as far as uh, as as they you know the playoff hunt goes. I mean they get they get uh, a, another tough game this week, so I think yep. the Bengals uh, really got to pray for Joe Burrow to be healthy. They host the Rams on Monday Night Football next week, and the Rams are playing a lot better than we all thought they would be with Matthew Stafford kind of having a little bit of a a resurgence after an off year last year. But let's go to the next topic. On the flip side of the 0-2 discussion, there are the teams that are 2-0 and saying who might be the best so far. You narrowed it down to three teams, and I probably would have picked the same exact three. The Dallas Cowboys, the San Francisco 49ers, or the Miami Dolphins. I'm kind of surprised that you didn't throw my uh, Philadelphia in there. But nonetheless, those three, Dallas, San Fran, and Miami, which team has looked the best so far in your opinion, Coach? Yeah, Philly might join that conversation, but they've got two new coordinators, a new offensive and new defensive coordinator. And I think they're going to take a little time to sort of hit their peak. They've they they've won their first two games, but they haven't looked spectacular doing it. Those other three teams have looked spectacular. Uh, yeah, I, Dallas really has impressed me. Their defense is lights out. They didn't give up a point for the first six quarters 
quarters of the year. They, they outscored their opponents over the first six quarters, something like 56 to nothing, uh, 57 to nothing. I mean, they, they just look like a team right now that, that has it all, all together. Now, we've said that before about the Cowboys, and they, they've been another team that in the last two decades has really struggled to get out of their own way. So they're the team I'm sort of the most cautious about. While I think they've impressed me the most, they're the one I'm, I, I need to kind of wait and see on. San Francisco looks phenomenal. They're just they're just well coached. They're solid on both sides of the ball. Uh, they've got playmakers everywhere. Th- this is a team that, if they stay healthy, feels like a Super Bowl team to me. Uh, I, I love Kyle Shanahan. I, I just think that he's such a, a complete NFL coach. Uh, he seems to have answers for just about whatever any, anybody can throw at at him. Uh, but Miami is so intriguing, right? I mean, is his understudy over there, Mike McDaniel? Uh, they're they're fascinating to watch. I mean, you would talk about modern football. The the uh, the on on Sunday night in that game against the Patriots, and we're going to talk about this later in the show. It felt like, and, and I, th- it's crazy to say this about a, a guy opposing Bill Belichick, but it felt like the Dolphins were playing chess and the and the 40, and the Patriots were playing checkers. The, the yeah. Miami was just so ahead with their scheme, and and and. That's just going to make them really interesting. They've got speed and skill makers and a and a coach who could do anything. Who knows what Mike McDaniel's going to do? Uh, and he just and he just seems to be a guy who is unafraid and of anything. And and that bodes well for a young team like Miami. So so I think San Francisco is the best team of the three. I think Dallas is playing really well, but I'll wait and see on them. And I think Miami is the most intriguing. I'll definitely agree with the intriguing thing. Mike McDaniel looks like he should be like crunching numbers for T row price or something. Like he doesn't look like a football coach at all. He, I love his, like his interviews are great and all. And um, I think he's, he's great for the game because he's definitely kind of tearing down some barriers of what people think of when they think of like an NFL head coach. He didn't do it the conventional way. He's not a former player or anything like that. And he's bringing that unique, different outsider's perspective into it. It kind of reminds me of like a Moneyball situation, which everyone's familiar with that movie, hopefully. Uh, it's based around uh, Billy Bean and the Oakland A's and the baseball side of things. But still, would you agree, just real quick before we get into these other teams, would you agree that that's kind of like he's doing things a little bit different? It doesn't mean that they're wrong, but they're different, and it's kind of working right now. Oh, absolutely. And that's part of the appeal. I think that the players have really bought in to his style, whatever that style is. He had some press conferences when he was in San Francisco that were just downright bizarre. And and he was just talking about these obscure things. And I looked at the guy and he looked like he weighed 150 pounds. And like you know, what you said, he looked like more like a, a Wall Street guy or yeah. I don't know, I look like one of the dudes in the back of my classes at college who had been out till 4 a.m. And <laughs> you're just like, what's that guy's deal? Um <laughs> And I thought, you know, how's he going to resonate in a locker room? I mean, an NFL locker room is filled with grown men, right? I always say that about NFL quarterbacks. If you step into an NFL huddle and you just look around at the dudes around you, I mean, you better be the most confident guy uh, on the planet for you to just command that huddle and and essentially have those guys shut up and follow you. And the same is true of an NFL head coach. And I looked at Mike McDaniel, I'm like, "He, he doesn't have it, but he does. He does. And and it is the fact that he's unconventional. I think if he tried to be a traditional NFL coach, he tried to be a tough guy or he was just this sort of buttoned up, you know, like all my everything's a secret because uh, my scheme is, is you know, a genius. And he's not like that at all, man. You don't know what he's going to say. You don't know what he's going to do. 
but he freaking lets it hang out, man. And I think that that's the, the reason why uh, it's effective in Miami. It's, it's fun to watch. He's breaking some barriers, like I said. But these other two teams, you mentioned Dallas and San Francisco. Dallas, if, is there a little caveat to this 2-0 start based on the fact that they played the New York Giants, blew their doors off in week one. The New York Jets, which we all had high hopes for, but now without Aaron Rodgers, they look like a rudderless ship. Uh, they have another week one in week, another week game in week three. I, I can't remember who they play. We mentioned it yesterday on the show, and I just slips my mind. How much do you put Dallas's success against who they were playing? You can't make your schedule. I understand this. This isn't you know them picking in when they play their games. How much do you put their success on who their opponents have been so far? I mean, that's a fair point. And then th- this week they're at Arizona. Uh, there it is. <laughs> who has been kind of, you know, Arizona has been like surprisingly better, but they lost a, a pretty brutal game where they had a big lead last week. And then in week four, they got new England and I don't think new England's very good. I mean, there's a possibility new England could be heading into that game at zero and three. So yeah, we're definitely going to have to wait on, on the Cowboys to see when they, when in fact they're, they're challenged. Uh, that might not come until they get into the NFC East games. Those are going to be some, some tough, uh, de- divisional matchups. I don't know, man. I just, it, it just feels as though like they're a team that's always hyped up and they really haven't delivered. I think that they have three playoff wins this century and they haven't been to a championship game since the nineties. And so like, that's just uh, that, 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 that's cause for some hesitancy on, you know, you got to kind of slow your roll on the Cowboys. Yeah. San Francisco Steeler fans saw them up close and personal uh, in week one where they dismantle the Steelers in every way possible. And then week two, you have a divisional game on the road. People forget San Francisco hasn't even played a home game yet. And LA, like I said earlier, they're surprising some people playing a little bit better. They give them a little run for their money. Probably would have been a 10 score, a 10 point win. McVay kicks a meaningless field goal at the end for the backdoor cover. I'm not going to mention about gambling side of aspects of that, anything, but it was a seven and a half point spread. Anyways, um, McVay won some people, some money. Sam Fran, would you go to say that they are the most complete? We'll just say that word, the most complete team in the NFC right now? Yeah, absolutely. And then they get the Giants this week, and then they get Arizona next week. I mean, they're gonna be they're gonna be four and oh uh without really breaking a sweat. I mean, they they haven't been pushed. Um, and I feel as though like that's probably for the 49ers, uh, something that will allow Shanahan to really work on some things like I'm not saying they're going to absolutely blow these teams out but one of the things that makes him so good as a head coach is he'll put stuff on film for an upcoming or future opponent to study only uh knowing of course that 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 when they get to that game they're going to show that stuff and and then they're going to change it right they're going to they're going to allow you they're going to make you prepare for a and then they're going to do B and, and they're so good at doing that. And, and they don't do it by remaking their scheme. They just do it by tweaking little things. Uh, he's, he's a master at creating complexity in his scheme without actually overhauling the scheme itself. So I think that they're set up right now for a pretty good run. I don't think the division is great. Uh, if they get a home, if they, if they win the number one seed, they get the buy and then you got to go out to San Francisco to play them in the playoffs. And we're talking way down the road, obviously, but, but it's sort of setting up that way for the 49ers early on. And that's going to be a tough task for any NFC team to win in San Francisco on the road in the playoffs. All right, let's stay in the NFC for the third topic, the NFC South. 
Um, I think the Steelers won the NFC South last year, but this year the <laughs> NFC South uh, is competing with each other. They, uh, you know, that was a bad division last year, and everyone predicted a very poor division again in this year in 2023. Yet three teams are two and zero: the Saints, the Buccaneers, and the Falcons are all two and zero. Are we talking about like, hey, like this is not anything to write home about, or are you taking notice of any or all of these teams as? These guys, these teams might hang around. They might be more competitive than, than we thought. What do you, what do you think about that, Coach? Yeah, I mean, I actually like the Saints and and the Falcons. I mean, and for and for really basic reasons, right? The Saints have a great defense, and in a weak division, you're always going to keep yourself in it with a great defense. And then the Falcons have a great run game, and that thing rings true as well. I mean, you can you can do a lot of good with a really strong run game, you can keep yourself in football games by keeping the other team's offense off the field. And so I think it's, it's going to come down to those two teams battling it out. Uh, I'm not a big prediction maker, but I kind of predicted in the preseason that Atlanta would win the division because I loved their run game. And I I haven't been a huge Derek Carr fan in my career. I just think he he makes some killer mistakes that can cost team games, uh, teams games. But if, if he can play within himself, uh, and and New Orleans can ride their defense, then I think that they're you know a, a legitimate contender to win that division. I'm not sold on Tampa Bay because they're so young. Baker Mayfield's playing some pretty good football right now, but we all know that Baker Mayfield can implode at any minute. So yeah. 13 rookies on that team plus Baker Mayfield feels as though that, that's going to go south at some point. Uh, so yeah, I like I like Atlanta and New Orleans to fight it out. It does seem like a two horse race in this division for me. And maybe Tampa Bay will rise up. And you mentioned the rookies that they have on their roster, but they still do have some really good players. Um, they've got the inside linebacker white, obviously he's a, a mainstay on the defensive side. Mike Evans, all he does is have 1000 yard seasons and he continues to play well. It's just going to be an interesting dynamic here in the NFC South, especially when you get into the thick of divisional play, the saints beat the the Panthers who are the lowliest, low lowest to the low in the division so to speak the saints and falcons are very intriguing i oftentimes when i think about these teams from an nfl perspective i tend to go with the quarterback i like the most i gotta say i'm gonna take Derek carr over a desmond ritter though wouldn't you yes if they if they allow Derek carr to to or not allow if they put Derek carr in situations where he's not being asked to do too much because i think he can look great he he's a tease man he can look great he's got a great arm uh he makes some beautiful throws I think sometimes you can fall in love with some of the things that he does and then ask him to do too much and when you do that uh he inevitably seems to make these costly mistakes and so if New Orleans can stick to a formula whereby they're strong on defense they minimize the risks that they take on offense I think that that's the recipe for success uh, I think what Atlanta's doing is is intriguing right, right now because Desmond Ritter, while he's kind of in the same category as, as Kenny Pickett as a, a young quarterback who's still learning on the job, they've supported him with an excellent run game. And man, I had a chance to look at them a little bit on Sunday. Bijan Robinson is a dude. He is he is just like the, and they're using him in so many creative ways. He's a running back. He's in the slot. He's motioning all the way out to be the wide receiver. They're throwing him the ball. They're they're hitting him on jet sweeps. They're running him out of the backfield. They're really maximizing what they have in him. And then they bring in Tyler Algier, who's a little bit more of a north-south runner. They've got a nice thing going on in the run game there. So I think Ritter 
is is being supported really well in Arthur Smith's yeah. offense. And I think the Saints need to do the same with Carr. All right, let's go to the next topic. Best game of the weekend. You got a weird one. I mean, the ending was exciting. I don't know if the rest of the game was, but you went with Broncos Commanders. I went in a different direction. I'll let you explain yours before I get to mine. Go ahead. What was why did you pick Broncos Commanders outside of the Hail Mary at the end of the game? Well, I mean, here's I'm in, I'm very intrigued by the Sean Payton Russell Wilson pairing in Denver because that seems like oil and water. You got a really old school guy in Sean Payton who who's a Bill Parcells disciple, uh, and then you've got Russell Wilson who's very new agey, and he you know he kind of does Russell Wilson things that make it onto Twitter and stuff like that. And I'm very intrigued to see how that works out. Um, but the one thing that Sean Payton talked about when he got to Denver in his in his bashing of Nathaniel Hackett and the the previous regime was the lack of culture there, and that he needed to rebuild the culture. And to me, when you got a 21 to three lead like Denver had and you, and you lose that, that's a culture loss. That's a, that's a, that's a team that uh, doesn't know how to win. Doesn't know how to protect the lead that when things start to unravel, they don't know how to kind of reel it back in. And I'm not putting that on Sean Payton. It's only his second game there, but I think that it speaks to what he was talking about that, that in Denver right now, they they just don't have enough uh, in the locker room, enough leadership to be able to, uh, when they've got a team down, to finish them off. I mean, when you looked at how Washington came back in that game, it was Sam Howe running around making plays and, you know, a lot of credit to him. But it, it also was just Denver not being able to to put drives together. They did all the things that you that that you do when you blow a big lead. They they were quick to get to get off the field on offense. They couldn't get off the field on defense. The ending, of course, was absurd, right? I mean, I don't know if you do see that, Hail Mary. I've never seen oh, a ball yeah. thrown that high. <laughs> you know, I was waiting for like some next gen stat to come out and be like, you know, <laughs> Russell Wilson's Hail Mary had the highest trajectory of any ball since 2014. Nothing like that, but uh, it was it was crazy. It got batted around, et cetera. Uh, but I think that that loss really underscores the problems in Denver right now. And so for me to watch, it was a fascinating game because it spoke to the culture of a franchise not so much to what happened on the field in that individual contest. Hey, I don't mind it. Every time I see the Hail Mary play, I automatically go back to the old NFL prime time with TJ and Chris Berman. They'd always say, what do you do? Knock it down. And they didn't knock it down. It was the tip thrill and they catch it behind them. So, Hey, that was a good game. Very compelling. And I love your reasons. I'm going to go in a different direction, just more from a spectator's perspective. I liked the Seattle Detroit game. Goes to overtime. Geno Smith finds a way to bring his team back. Detroit, it's a back-and-forth affair. Detroit, Jared Goff plays a great game. Uh, this game had a lot of storylines to it, uh, a lot of good, cool moments. Tyler Lockett is a hell of a football player that doesn't really get discussed when he's talking about when he's talking about the best receivers in the game. I thought that was a very good game that, again, even this, even today, after Week 2 is officially wrapped up, no one's talking about it. Like no one's talking about Seattle and no one's talking about that Detroit game, but coach, did you get to watch any of that one? I did. I watched some of it. Detroit's my son's favorite team. So we always That's have right. to try to yeah get a little <laughs> bit of that uh, on the TV. And I'll tell you what, Dan Campbell, he is not afraid of fourth down, is he? And that guy, <laughs> he, he feels like, it feels like he'll go for not it in any fourth down situation. If you're a player, I think you love that mentality from your head coach. You, you know, I mean, I, I know this as, as a play caller, 
caller, and again, I'm just talking about high school, but as a play caller, I'll tell our defensive coordinator if we're going into a certain game, like, look, man, we're going to be aggressive on fourth down. We get out past our own 35. And we feel as though we're in it, we're in a, a makeable fourth down situation, and we and we have a play call we like. We're going to go for it. So just be prepared for that. Like you, you need to tell your defense you got to be prepared to play on a short field because we're going to be aggressive offensively. And I think that Dan Campbell's instilled that in the Lions that they that they're just kind of like next play that that there's that's their mentality. All right, we went for it on fourth and four from our own thirty three. We didn't get it. All right, next play, let's go get a stop. And I think players love to play for a coach like that. All right, this is a question uh, before we get to the player profile, the last topic. I was I'm curious to get your take on it because honestly, you know the game so much better than I do. And the question is simple. Is Bill Belichick is it over for him in New England? He is struggling right now without Tom Brady. There's the evidence is there since Tom Brady left and went to Tampa Bay. It has not been the same Patriots team. What are your thoughts on Belichick up there in New England? I mean, it's an interesting question because he is a legendary coach. He if he if he can kind of rally uh, New England and stick around for a while longer. He's going to break Don Shula's record for the most all-time wins. And somebody said something about uh, recently that one of his motivations is uh, for doing that is because he wants to stick it to Shula, who is no longer with us, but because Shula criticized the the, the Spygate I team or whatever. That. I don't know. And it seems very petty. But um, I mean, he, when he was in Cleveland in the 1990s and he didn't have a quarterback, he struggled. Uh, I, there aren't too many NFL coaches who can who can be successful without uh, an, a franchise quarterback. And Mac Jones is not that guy, man. Mac Jones is really struggling. I, you know, Mac Jones is on his third offensive coordinator in three years, so that's part of the problem. But <clears throat> he doesn't look like a guy who's going to be able to elevate the Patriots. Uh, like I said earlier in the show, I just felt as though their offense was antiquated. And when you juxtaposed it against the Dolphins, who were doing really, really creative things with read options and RPOs and shifts and motions and uh, getting the ball out of Tua's hand really, really qu quickly and, and and playing fast-paced. It looked like a modern offense against an antiquated offense. And they don't have a great offensive line. And if you're going to rebuild that team, it's going to be, have to be through the run game. And the offensive line is not very good. So I think the future uh, – for New England is is not exactly bright, especially when you consider that, that the AFC East is really good. I don't know if it's over for Bill Belichick, but I think that the next year or two are going to be tough. And then New England's going to have to make a decision ab about how far they want to go with him. I, I don't know. Do you think, here's my question to you, Jeff. Do you think that Belichick's got a, like, I'll let you know when I'm done deal in New England? Or like, is he, is he still accountable? I think he and Tomlin are in the same boat. And that is that they're, they're the coach until they say they're done, whether they go somewhere else, whether they retire or whatever. Uh, yeah, th that's, that's his gig. Now I'm going to say something that Rob Guerrero said on our Monday show. I keep referencing that it's fresh in my brain. I asked him a similar question and he said, I don't think Bill Belichick, the coach is done. I do think Bill Belichick, the GM is done. And so you have to wonder what if the, the Patriots said, Bill, we don't want you to go anywhere as a coach standpoint. We want you to hire someone to be like the G the assistant GM, but is going to come in and actually help build this roster because look at the offense that they have. I mean, you could have Bill O'Brien, doesn't matter. They just don't have the personnel, and they never have really. I mean, you look at what Tom Brady did outside of the years with Randy Moss and Wes Welker. Like They never had those big-time players, and they still won, so that's a credit to him as a coach, but – I mean, my gosh, I, I think that might be, if there's going to be a change, maybe that's the way that they go. So I don't know. What are your thoughts? 
Yeah, that's a good point. And who knows, man? I mean, like you, you don't know with people like he, he has this thing going on with his longtime girlfriend and you read about that and you kind of laugh about it. And you're like, huh, you know, but a, but a guy like Bill Belichick, who is so private and singular in his focus. Uh, and I mean, you know, at what point do, do things start to unravel a little bit? Right. Uh, you're, you got some issues in your private life. Uh, you have. Uh, not as much success in your professional life. Like at what point will Bill Belichick simply be like, I, I got to step away. You know, I have to, I just can't, I can't do it. Like I, like I'm used to doing it. How to what stand hold himself. Will Bill Belichick, let's say the Patriots have been a 500 team the last couple of years since, since Brady left this year could be really bad for him. I mean, the next couple of weeks uh, they got to play the jets and Dallas. They could be 0 and four. I mean, if Bill, yeah. Bill Belichick goes through a five and twelve season, because the Patriots kind of look like a five and twelve team right now, he goes through a five and twelve season, and they don't get significantly better next year. At what point does he say to himself, "I got to step out, man"? The guy's seventy, almost seventy years old. Yeah. So it'll be very. I, I'm fascinated to watch how that unfolds. Every, every they they always say that like everybody stays a year or two too long. You know that that like people, most coaches, especially the really successful ones, don't know when to get out. It will be very interesting to see if he does. Yeah, I, I would say like if you're going to use a like a, a saying about Bill, Belichick, it's that the sun is setting on him. It's just a matter of when it actually goes down. So I think that's yeah. that's where we are at his point in his career. Okay, let's get to the final thing here, and that is player profile. Last week, after week one, we did Brandon Ayuk from the San Francisco 49ers who torched the Steelers. This week, it's the Steelers for a good reason, and that's mm-hmm. one T.J. Watt. Trent Jordan Watt, as we call him on the Steel Curtain Network, Coach, go ahead and wax poetic about, in my opinion, the best defensive player in the NFL. Yeah, I saw a statistic this morning. It was just comparing T.J. Watt's line last night, which included things like uh, a sack, a touchdown, four quarterback pressures, a, a batted down pass, four or five tackles, versus Miles Garrett, who had one tackle and nothing else. Um, and I just... I, I just don't think TJ Watt gets the national love that he should. He is the absolute most dominant pass rusher in the NFL. He broke the Steelers all time sack record last night. Uh, he, he has made his counterpart at, at the position, Alex Highsmith, a much better player. I mean, you can see the evolution of Alex Highsmith's game. And, and when that, and when the game was over last night, the two of them were interviewed um, and Highsmith gave all, all the credit for his development to TJ Watt Highsmith is now becoming uh, a top 10 pass rusher in the NFL. And so, I mean, I just think TJ's TJ Watt's impact on the game is amazing. I, I can't quote it off the top of my head. You might know, but the Steelers record when TJ Watt is out of the lineup versus when he is in it is just night and day. Uh, and, and he was a force in that football game last night when he wasn't making plays directly, he was being accounted for by Cleveland so that other Steelers could make plays. I just, I just think as good as he is, he's been the NFL defensive player of the year. He's tied the NFL sack record. He broke the Steelers all-time sack record last night. He still feels underrated to me. He he broke the Steelers sack record in like 80-some games faster than what it took James Harrison to get there. Now, granted, James Harrison was a little bit different. Wasn't a first-round pick. Didn't get on the field right away. But still, games played or games played. And TJ Watt, he, I feel like a lot of people forgot about him after his injury plague last his season last year. You know, the torn pectoral landed on IR. He wasn't able to play, didn't have the numbers. It was Alex Highsmith who had 14 and a half sacks last year. 
Now, all of a sudden, after two games, he already has four sacks. He's already making plays left and right. And it's kind of like, well, what is the what is the soup du jour in terms of what everyone's talking about? And who is it right now? It's Micah Parsons. Like everyone's talking about Micah Parsons. He's the best. He's he's going to be the defensive player of the year. And then TJ Watt will make these plays. It's like, well, let's not forget about this guy. Because when you watch like what the Browns did last night, he's having to battle through a tight end. And then he gets through the tight end. And then he's got to go one-on-one with this mountain of a man. And what was it? Dewan Jones. Is that his name or something like that? Yeah, Dewan Jones. 6'8", 374. <laughs> and he's still getting to the quarterback and making plays and being like you said, he's he's wreaking havoc. We use that term and that narrative all the time in this content creation game wreaking havoc no one epitomizes wreaking havoc on a play whether it's a running play a passing play doesn't matter more than tj watt i agree with your uh player profile this week if you haven't figured it out yet <laughs> <laughs> all right coach good stuff as always why don't you tell people where they can find you on social media and what's coming up on the call sheet this week i'm curious yeah so at kt smith ffsn on uh twitter and then the call sheet, which is my podcast, uh, which usually runs on Wednesdays. Uh, and we're going to look at, at um, the, I mean, it's, a, it's kind of an unfortunate topic that we're going to start with, but we're going to look at Nick Chubb's injury from last night. Um, we'll look at the running back position in general in the NFL, uh, why there's a little bit of a controversy about the value of running backs. Uh, what, what, you know, what the, do, do running backs, uh, are, are they essentially expendable? It's a horrible term to use, but it's the term that's often being kicked around these days. And you, you look at a guy like Nick Chubb, and then he gets an, an in, a horrible injury like last night. Uh, and how does that alter both his future, the running back position as a whole? Uh, how does it alter the Brown season? I mean, one play like that has a massive impact and ripple effect throughout the entire league. So we're going to talk about that. And then my Buddy Pez is coming back. Some more Pez's picks. Oh, yeah. He's now six three and one for through two weeks, and uh, that's pretty darn good. Six three and one. So I told him, I said, "Man, you you know, if you're doing well, I'll bring you back." And he's all he's all fired up. So we'll have Pez back. Early early season picks are tough, especially if you're going against the spread, and even, hell, even straight up, sometimes it can be tough. So make sure you check out that call sheet podcast. Where just like where you found this one on the FFSN NFL. You can check out my work on the Steel Curtain Network if you like the Pittsburgh Steelers, or you can find me on Twitter at jhartman, H-A-R-T-M-A-N underscore P-I-T. Coach, another great show. Thanks for your time. We'll see you next week to wrap up week three. Take it easy.